The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's another edition. Jay and Keith has promised, believe it or not, sometimes we promise this summer and not followed through, but I did follow through with the promise. I guess Keith did too. Monday, we're podding. We're going to talk all things media day. We're going to talk polls. We're going to talk um, HSU getting a little bit more love than, honestly, I thought they were deserving, deservingly so. They should have got what they got. I didn't have faith that the coaches would vote that way, but a lot of uh, guys making the preseason uh, all-conference teams, now a lot of them on the second team, so we'll talk about that. The media polls, which, again, as always, I will tell you how I voted because I believe in transparency. And I will as well. We both got a ballot this year. so yeah. yeah, we'll do that. We'll do a lot. But first, there was a big controversy over the last week or so. Barbenheimer, whatever it's called. Barbenheimer is yeah. the, the – maybe I said this may be the last big movie-going event of my lifetime like this because the way that, that the movie theater experience has been changing – it just makes it very different. It's rare that you get something that could resemble a true double feature. Now, we, my wife and I did not, because Oppenheimer is three hours. Right? Barbie is like an hour 45. We can do that. Oppenheimer was a true three-hour film. Doing both of those in the same day was a lot. So we did Barbie Saturday night after dinner, got up the next day, did brunch, and went to Oppenheimer Sunday afternoon. So you said, the heck with making one choice, I'm just going to do them both. Because the big yeah. argument was, which one would you do, right? That's no, the, the big, big argument has been, do both. Oh. Like, that's been the big thing, is do both. Now, most people have done, far more people have done Barbie than Oppenheimer. But, like, the big chatter on social media is Barbenheimer, you don't pick one, you do both, you see them as a double feature. Mm. And we couldn't quite do that, but we made it into a Barbenheimer weekend. And uh, both very good. They complement each other very well. Killian Murphy is phenomenal as J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, Christopher Nolan does a great job. Very little CGI. It's almost all practical effects. Uh, I believe he just used a bunch of TNT to replicate the Trinity test. I don't think he actually detonated a nuclear weapon. Um, you don't think, but you're not going to uh, commit I, I, to I, that. You know what? I am not 100% sure, okay. but uh, whatever he did, it was incredible. Um, that was really an, a, an intense part of the movie, even though you know it's going to go off without a hitch because it actual training tested uh but that was really good um i and barbie is a lot more as a film it's a lot more intelligent than it probably could have been it could have just been like you know silly toy commercial hijinks haha buy stuff and it's not that so it's it's the me uh for radio as barbie is the movie is that what you're saying uh i mean the movie the movie looked better in pink than you oh that's and it was so colorful, too. It just like it was, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed Barbie. I actually probably like Barbie a little bit more. Are you, one, I'm going to be shocked. I was shocked. I am shocked by that statement. Uh, would you be shocked that I've seen neither? No. Okay. Because now, you are allergic to pop culture. Now, my wife, daughter, and my wife took, I think, some friends, and they saw Barbie, and they were dressed up in pink, and I think they enjoyed themselves. Uh, but, no, I've not, I've not seen neither. 
I would not take your kids to see Oppenheimer. Well, I know that was not an option, but no. but uh, I'm just saying you're shocked, not shocked, that I have not watched. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of philosophy in it. Um, and, and I should have expected that from Greta Gerwig, but like she really went above and beyond. Um, and and the ca- she had the cast to do it, too. I mean, Ryan Gosling is phenomenal. Margot Robbie is obviously fantastic. Uh, Kate McKinnon is weird. Barbie is uh, is really fun as well. Uh, it was it was good. So in Oppenheimer, did they have any references to Oak Ridge? Yes, there was. Yeah, Oak Ridge is where they enrich the uranium. Right. So when they're setting up Los Alamos, they're talking about this is how much uranium Oak Ridge enriched in the last month. And they had like a jar full of marbles. And the jar was about the size of what they would need in terms of uranium to create a sufficiently large bomb to do what the United States was hoping that a nuclear weapon would do. And it honestly probably did more than the United States wanted it to do when they dropped it. Um, But yeah, Matt Damon was really good as well. Uh, Emily Blunt's awesome. That, That cast in Oppenheimer was really, really strong. I just... A phenomenal experience at the movies over the last couple of days. If you do have the opportunity to see Oppenheimer and IMAX, though, do it. I did not, but I can see why it would appeal differently, right? It hit differently in that that um, that particular venue. If you get the chance to see it on IMAX, do it. It's a little more expensive, probably like twenty bucks a seat, but it's worth it. Yes, I think Oppenheimer will have a lot of Oscar nominations. Robert Downey Jr. was great as Louis Strauss, um, where he's kind of, like, he is the bad guy, right? Like, he's the bad guy of the whole movie. And uh, I didn't I didn't realize the, the history of it and the internal politics of it and, and all of that and how Oppenheimer was uh, discredited and later viewed as sort of a tragic hero of American energy policy. Uh, but it was fascinating to watch. I've learned a lot already just, you know, reading up on the background of what was done. And obviously a little bit of it's traumatized, but not a lot of it. And he uses, you know, color versus black and white. And the color is Oppenheimer's perspective, and the black and white is more of the reality of things. I just, it was, it was really well done. It was really well done. I enjoyed it. Uh, it is not a happy film. It is a heavy film. Whereas Barbie with all of its philosophical elements, is still very light, very happy, finds, finds ways and places to have its charm on full display. But I would, I would encourage you to see both. I, I would encourage you to give each one some time to breathe. If you're going to do them on the same day, go have a sit-down meal in between. Uh, you know, Go out to, to lunch or an early dinner or whatever, see one, go out, have the meal, come back, see the other. And probably, I would probably see Barbie second. If I had it, if I had it to do over again, I would probably do it the other way around. I would see Oppenheimer first and Barbie second. But I saw Barbie first and Oppenheimer second. Okay, here we go. Uh, also, must will watch. you see either of these films? I will probably yes. I will see both, but it will not be at a theater. I am committed uh, to go take the boys to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That so, looks good. So I will be will be going uh, yeah, to that, take that them. Yeah, I, I saw a trailer for that. That looked really good. Because I tried to get uh, the girls to 
wait a week or so until that came out. We'd all go at the same time, just watch different things. But, um, you know, 11-year-old daughter, she's, she's ready to go see it, too. So that was fine. And, you know, they actually watched it last night, Sunday night. So they didn't have a lot going on Monday because school starts Wednesday. So I will be doing that. Oh, I, oh man, I forgot about School. I am like August. I don't know what to do. Oh, that's, you know, that's a, that's a Tennessee thing, too. Like, yeah, that changed when so I was bad. in school, so like in, in middle school. And I was like, this is, what is this? Especially when I went up to North Dakota, and they still start um, grade school at, after Labor Day. Like, your summer really is Memorial Day to Labor Day up there. And I was like, whew, man. Summer is, I mean, it's Memorial Day, or it's Labor Day to, like, two weeks before Memorial Day in college. So I, I, I love my summers at ETSU because they were way, they were like six weeks longer than the one I had when I was in grade school. Anyway, speaking of grades, grading out a new venue for SoCon for Media Day. Yeah. Well, how about before we get to okay. yeah, Media Day? Okay. I, yeah, I do, do, do want to do uh, one correction. Um, we were talking a little bit on the two deep, right? And got to uh, the anchor of the nose guard position. And so I got to Jade Miles, and I did not have updated uh, information on Jade Miles. And, you know, I talked about the one thing that I know the coaches would want him to do was to drop some weight. And got an update today. Not only has he dropped weight, he's dropped a tremendous amount of weight. He's somewhere in between 315 and 320 and very much in the mix uh, to push uh, Mustafa Algarwi for the number two slot. Now, Miles, I mean, people may or may not remember, but was kind of thrust into duty a couple years ago in the Kennesaw State, but more so because Timmy Dorsey was injured in that North Dakota State game. So he didn't play a lot during the regular season, but I thought come up big. I think he played a little bit in the Mercer game too. But he played a little bit in Mercer, got – a pretty good chunk of time in both playoff games. So he's a guy that has seen uh, game time action before. He's going to be pushing uh, to be the number two behind Max Evans. Didn't have an updated um, list. I did on most positions, uh, and but the D-line I did not. And or uh, I think I didn't really have linebackers either. Uh, I did have secondary update, but I didn't have all that stuff. So I did, um, with the information I had, give it. It was incorrect. Want to get that out there because we like to pride ourselves on correct information. It was also pointed out to me that it was incorrect, so I did. I should do. I went and followed up, and then a little retraction here uh, because if a guy's worked hard enough in less than a year to lose 40 pounds to get himself in position to see significant playing time, I think the hard dedication of that should be celebrated. Agreed. And so again. I do want to make a correction because I was incorrect. And so I, I own that when we say things. You know, there are times that we are incorrect, and uh, either fans, player, parents, relatives, something, even coaches, and they won't tell me till later, and they're mad about it. And I'm like, you know, there's nothing easier than letting me know if I have something incorrect. I will be more than happy because our job as podcasters for this university specifically, and not even that. I've said stuff that's wrong where I've had other um, fan bases that listen and say, no, 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 this guy's injury was this, and I think you said that. And I really hate getting an injury wrong because that's for a lot of reasons. But if there is something incorrect, I welcome the, hey, you got that. Uh, you know, d- 
this is it, and then I will do my due diligence to not just take somebody's word for it, but not call them liars either, but just make sure I follow back up and go, hey, or just find and say, well, the, somebody covers this as this, but this is in-house, so this was very easy uh, to correct. So, uh, Jaden, I apologize. You've done some good work. You're going to be in the mix, and certainly. And uh, that adds, I mean. Much adds, needed depth. It adds depth to the defensive line. Yeah, if, if you've got three guys at the anchor that you feel okay about, maybe that offers the opportunity. You know, if Jalen George doesn't quite work or Bronx Brown doesn't work out at the three, maybe you move Max Evans over and you clear the way for somebody. Uh, that, that, the depth of this defensive front suddenly looks okay. Like, I, I feel a little more encouraged by what I'm seeing right in the trenches for the, the guys in the front three than maybe what I was, you know, a month ago when we were still wondering who's going to fill A, B, C, D spot and brought in Broadus Brown, brought in uh, Rod Fitton. And this group seems like it's going to take a step. And, and I heard this from Sheldon Arnold at Media Day. I heard it from Noah West at Media Day. They both believe it. I heard this from Max Evans in the spring. Jalen George is a player. Jalen George is going to play a lot. They think he can be an impact player very early in his career. And we're going to talk about media day now. We're going to get some new bumpers, too. I'm, I'm going to make Keith give me some new bumpers. Yeah, you've been, you've been hounding me about that for a while. But then I went to South Carolina for two weeks. Got to fill off the grid. No, I decided to get married. No, no. Team player, it's all about Keith. Yes, actually, yes. Well, no, I just, I, I play for two different teams. I'm like a professional cricketer. I have one season that that I play for one team, and then I go for another season play for a different team. And that team is my marriage. Right, that's a good team to play for. Not it's a great team to play for. I agree. Your other team. I signed a lifetime contract with them, so yeah, I, I yeah. hope it's a good team. Yeah, the other the other team is the Buccaneers Sports Network, and you represented the team on Media Day. Your yes. thoughts on the new venue? Uh, so it's the Hotel uh, Hartness, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I thought it was it was a little bit intimate, right? But my understanding was that last year's venue was very space, almost too spacious. So as a course correction for that, it was pretty okay. I was worried that my audio would get a little bit too washed out, but everything worked out great. Uh, it all sounded really good. I will say if the media demand for the SOCON starts to increase, the space can't take it. So, there does need to be uh, maybe a thought to expanding the space or creating like breakout spaces for teams or for people who are trying to do interviews. There's not really a space to do any sort of like radio row environment as well. Uh, so, there, there are some things that I think you can Assess for subsequent years, but for what the event was this year, this this past uh, week, I thought it was really good. That was really really good, and uh, it was good to see a lot of different media outlets there. Obviously, the Blue Bloods were there, and uh, Red Shirt Sports was there. Uh, in, in addition to all of the papers and the TV outlets, uh, Kenny Hawkins and. Um, Heather Williams were both there uh, from local news. Uh, so it, it was – Johnson City, the Tri-Cities market was well represented. 
uh, and I thought overall the, the media interest in the SOCON appeared to be very high. Um, it was it was almost, like I said, if the event gets too much bigger, I think the venue might strain to host it, but for what it was this year, it was great, and the event overall was a success. So, a lot of things you got, a lot of sound bites, which you will yes. be putting out. So, I talked to seven of the nine head coaches. Who, who shunned you? Who shunned you? So, I um, I made the deliberate choice, because Chris Hatcher will talk your ear off, and I we all know that. He's an established commodity. I wanted to get Michael Hires. So, I made the choice to get the preseason offensive player of the year instead of his head coach. And by the time I got a bunch of the other interviews, Mercer was, had already left. So, I did not get anybody from Mercer. And that's the only one. But I got the other seven head coaches, and I got the preseason offensive player of the year. So we'll we'll sprinkle those in over the next few days. Uh, we also no have – I was writing it down. No Sanford, no Mercer. I was writing it down. Yeah. Well, we, do, we, have, we have Sanford's quarterback. Yeah, we have hires. And, and he's, right. basically a, like, he's basically a younger Chris Hatcher. Does he sound like? He kind of sounds no, like that. stop it. He sounds a little bit like like if I if I if you just age him twenty five years, then yeah, he probably would sound a lot. So like that's what. So not only do they have a system type for, you know, a quarterback comes in and you get plugged in and anybody can run the system, but you must have a sound too because I don't know if you ever talked to or, or ever heard Devlin, aka Duck Hodges. I never heard Duck talk. But his nickname I only is Duck. Watched, I only watched him throw to Kelvin McKnight, and then Kelvin McKnight get him a bunch of passing yards. And I watched him uh, win a game with the Steelers once. And then, uh, but still, his nickname was Duck, so you can imagine sort of the twang, if you will. So, Chris Hatcher does oh, I, 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 I thought that was for his arm strength. Sorry. <laughs> Look, coming I, in hot. I, I will say this. I, I think Hires um, has – I think Hires has – Harris is really good. Like, he's got the arm to push the ball down the field. Uh, he's got a little more athleticism. I think he can move around outside the pocket a little bit better and extend plays with his legs when called upon. He doesn't have to do that very often because the ball has to come out in two and a half seconds anyway in that offense. But I, I, I am a Michael Hires fan. I was not as big of a fan of Duck as I am of Hires. I think this kid is really, really good. What's that? He is the rightful offensive player of the year, and He's going to be a Peyton contender. Was, uh, was, was, was that because you had some, some green and gold glasses on, or what color are they? Well, Easton Stick finished third in the Peyton Award voting and then went out and scored five touchdowns on Eastern Washington the following day. So I guess he got the last lap because he got the ring. But, no, I, I just I just thought the I thought McKnight was a phenomenal receiver. Like he just he did so uh, much yes, great work in yes, that he offense. Was. And if you have to throw the ball – four yards, five yards in the air, and McKnight goes and gets you 15 after the catch. I mean, put that back together. Okay. Any other uh, thoughts on the, uh, not Sanford quarterbacks, but <laughs> the intimacy of uh, your media day experience? No, I, I thought that was good. That was good. We were able to find some spaces. I did, I did uh, ultimately, Kevin Brown suggested we take our players outside. And uh, initially I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then we were standing there. It was 91 degrees. And mm-hmm. we kind of like, mm-hmm. not so much. Was it a mistake to make Noah West sit there for six minutes while he interviewed Sheldon Arnold? Why did Sheldon Arnold stay for another six minutes while he interviewed Noah West? I, I feel like that's Kevin Brown problem, not yours. That's fair. You're that's, just, that's you're that's just fair. the media guy. Yeah. 
So. Well, it just looks like they've been getting some. It, they go back in and they're like, we're all glazed with sweat. It looks like the the guys go on camera and they all look like they're just getting an extra lift in during media days. Well, they're football guys. It's yeah, they're football guys. They love football. Sheldon Arnold, listen, people, do, you talk about like, wow, this guy really loves football. Sheldon Arnold loves football. I don't really know of many players that watch film of other guys in the conference that play the same position and just study them. Sheldon Arnold is a student of the safety position in the Southern Conference. And he's real, just just super smart guy. And it was really fun to talk to him. Um, and, you know, we talked a little X's and O's about, you know, how do you slow down Sanford's offense? How do you do this? How do you do that? But all those different things that, that you, you can really kind of get in the weeds with the guy. And I just really enjoyed sitting down and talking with Sheldon, uh, talking football with him. And, uh, he was uh, really fun, and uh, the interview was was good too. We didn't talk as much scheme stuff in in the interview, but he was just so giving of his time and really gave me the in depth stuff that that you love to to have to inform how you watch a football game. If you ever want to change your perspective on how you watch football, talk to the guys that are executing the scheme that you critique. And ask them questions because most of the time they'll give you an answer because a lot of times they have the answer. Like Sheldon had the, and that's what I I think that's a compliment to um, uh, coaches as well because there is still I think a little bit of the because I said so era of football coaches. You ask you ask a coach why why is this the call against this this this? It's because I said it is. Now go do it, and that doesn't help you learn. But when you get in the film room, if you start, you take those questions, you answer those questions, you explain stuff, and you teach guys how the different parts of football work together. How do the pieces fit? Don't just teach them like they're one piece. Teach them the whole scheme. Then especially with safeties, they have to relay. They're kind of the, the guys that are responsible for a lot of the checks in Billy Taylor's defense. So... He has to know every position to some degree or another, and you can really tell that he understands how all the pieces fit in the scheme. It was just, it was a really fun, insightful conversation, and we, we probably talked for like 15, 20 minutes once we get back inside. It was great. Yeah, that's up on Twitter right now. Yes, uh, the uh, the interview is about six, seven minutes. The interview that we did on the front end of that conversation is uh, available on social media at Buck Sports Radio on both Twitter and Instagram. Okay, there you go. Twitter, Instagram, Sheldon Arnold interview. He's going to have more of those interviews coming out. The big thing, usually besides getting to talk to these folks, is preseason polls, yes. preseason all-conference. That's yes. sort of the big thing. And we'll start with the polls first. And for the coaches, there was a tie uh, for points. Even though Furman had more first-place votes, it was Furman and Sanford tied. Uh, the coaches agree. Now, Coaches' polls, they can vote. Can they vote for their team? I don't think they can vote for their team. I don't know. I know they can't uh, vote for I players. They can vote for their team. No. Yeah, no, they can't vote for players. Anyways, Furman uh, and Sanford tied atop 59 points. Third place was Mercer. Fourth, Chattanooga. Five, Western Carolina. Six, ETSU. Seven, Wofford. Then the Academies, the Citadel, and VMI rounds it out. A little bit of a slight difference. Um, actually, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a slight difference in the media. Furman was the 
the resounding number one choice with 30 first-place votes, 345 total points. Sanford, two. Again, Mercer, three. Chat, four. Western, five. ETSU, six. That remained the same. The Citadel was seventh in the media poll by one point over Wofford, 103 to 102 on total points. Wofford, uh, eighth, and then VMI, ninth. Now, really the only big difference between mine and the other media poll, because I'm just going to stick with media, well, actually, let's go to coaches. They, they tend to, I don't know if they know more or not. But I, I, I had this discussion last night with some folks uh, up in South Dakota State. Uh, shout out to the Jack Rabbit Illustrated crew. Coaches know their conference really well, but nationally they are not as well informed as the media. I would agree with that. Um, I Yes, I, I think they, they, they're so ingrained into watching so much tape of games that they're going to play. Yes. Absolutely. That the downtime, I have this talk too, like I think basketball coaches have a little bit more grip because they're able to watch other games where football, the intricacy and everything that goes and the nuances of the complexity of everything, it's just very difficult. And in their downtime, they've got to watch tape on 300 high school kids as they continue to build a recruiting board in the middle of the season as well. So there's just a lot there. And, and so I think basketball has a slight advantage, but don't get me wrong, basketball guys don't have – they have a little bit more clue around national stuff than majors, not necessarily the rest. But I had – I went back and forth on certain, on Sanford and Firm, and they were my clear one, too. And I had Sanford just – you know, I hate to – I don't hate to love, love Rick Flair, but to quote, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so I'm going to go with Sanford. Plus they returned the, the all-conference – preseason player of the year, Michael Hires a quarterback. So, and defensively, they were way better in tier two uh, for their defense coordinator. So I went Sanford, but again, I, when people said, well, what about Furman? I was like, listen, if, they, if they're picked for, I'm not going to argue. I think they're the two best teams. So I had Sanford, Furman, where it was a tie amongst the coaches. I had um, the team that starts with a C, and that's actually how I wrote it down on my ballot. The team with a C that I cannot say their name as three – Mercer four, but the more I've talked to Chattanooga, Chattanooga people, I probably would have flipped that. It just, I wasn't, I thought about every position but quarterback. And they're going to have a quarterback yeah. either that has not thrown a college pass or one that's thrown like five or six. Right? No, they're not going to have a quarterback that's thrown a college pass. Okay. Very good. It's like, like, I don't think their quarterbacks have thrown any college passes, have they? I thought they got UCLA through like two or three. I know he got in a game, but I don't think he actually threw uh, maybe, a pass. Maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't throw so it. He didn't have any stats. Maybe, so maybe, maybe he didn't throw it. Artopius, yeah, it did not throw a, has not thrown a college pass in four years. Okay. So, that, they just returned so much. Um, especially, I know Devontae Maxwell's gone. Obviously, that's a big loss, but they still return a lot defensively. Person, Bruton up front, Cam Brown in the second. Cam's unbelievable. Sometimes yeah. I, 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 he's starting to get a lot more love than what I thought he should have got last year. They still have a great job of that kind of zone running attack, and of course they got a limb forward. They got Appleberry backing them up, so they've got a, a one-two punch running back game. Their O line is going to be solid. They always are. So defensively they're going to be solid. The biggest question is, can the quarterback help them or not? Anyway, so if I really would have looked at it from there, I probably could have got – but I had Chat 3, Mercer 4, which, again, I feel like they were still 3-4. And if you flip it, it doesn't matter. Then I thought Western 
is probably the team that can either make the jump in the middle of the pack at five, and I think this always in the Southern Conference has kind of been this way. There's a 5-6 team, it seems like, every year that either elevates up to be a championship-level type team or they do fall flat on their face and go to the bottom. And I think Western, I can see either. I could see them being better than what you expect, and then they get into that that second, third kind of slot. I don't know if they're good enough. Actually, I'm going to say they're not good enough yet to win a championship, but I could see them winning enough games to be a second-place team, third-place. But I can also see them being a team that you kind of had the middle of the pack, and for whatever reason, things just don't shake out their way, and they could fall uh, lower in the pack. Western's kind of that team for me. I think ETSU was picked sixth in both. That's where I had them. I think that's probably, right now, all things known, that's probably fair where they should be. And then I thought Wofford seven, and because of coaching changes, I'm going to go knowing uh, the Citadel, the way Coach Strayton does, it's his third time there. I think I think Moe's going to do a great job, but I think they're going to be eight, and then Rocco and BMI is going to be nine. That, that's what I had. What did you have? So I had uh, Furman and Sanford, basically a coin flip. I just There's so much continuity with the Paladins across the board that it's really hard for me to sit there and say that this team isn't going to learn from its mistakes. Because this is that's what college football teams used to do. And to see Furman be able to keep everybody there, they didn't really lose any huge contributors to the transfer portal when they probably could have. Uh, Tyler Huff is settled in as the leader of that offense. They've got some great weapons behind him uh, and, and around him. Defensively, they bring back their top, like, nine tacklers or and, and ten of their top 12 or something. They're, they're going to be fine there. That team is really, really good. But Sanford, like you said, to be the man, you got to beat the man. For a lot of people, that's, that's the way you look at it. Uh, I, I still just... I wonder how consistent their defense can be. And can they do that again, having to go out and recruit some more defensive players? Now, I don't buy into the idea. I will say the scheme worked, and they made it work. Um, I don't buy into the idea of being bearish on Sanford's defense because they don't bring back any first-team all-so-con defenders. Because they didn't have any first-team all-so-con defenders to bring back because nobody got onto the first team also con defense from Sanford. And they went 8-0 in the league. So I don't really see that as a cause for concern. I know there's some national media outlets have been like, well, you know, you wonder about Sanford's defense. I think it could be fine. October 14th is going to be a fun game. It's going to be really hard for Furman because they're coming off the Citadel the week before. you got to go from triple option to tempo spread. I mean, you're basically just going to be, it's just going to be like one-on-one. You're on an island. You're on an island of the option. You miss your assignment, big play happens. You're one-on-one against Sanford. You miss your assignment, big play happens. And and as reductive as that might sound, I think you can get guys to buy into what you need to do schematically when you have a a mentality that's just carrying over from one week to the next like that. So I had Furman first, Sanford second. Mercer, I have third. They have to figure out quarterback. I think it's going to be Carter Peavy. Based on their media guide, they think it's going to be Carter Peavy. It seems like that's how they're planning to move forward, but you just never know. If he settles in, I think Mercer is a dark horse to win the conference. Because he's got the best one-two punch maybe in the SoCon and Harper and James. 
And they bring back a good amount of the running backs group. They bring back a decent chunk of their defense. Um, uh, uh, Land, the linebacker, is just a old school downhill thumper. He's he's fun to watch. He racks up a lot of tackles. Um, it might not be, you know, the the biggest uh, thorn in the side in terms of every aspect of defense, but he always seems to find his way into the middle of everything uh, up front. So I have them third. I have Western Carolina fourth. And I agree with you that I think they're a little bit of a boom and bust team. I think it's about a young team taking a big step forward. Sincere Lee has an opportunity to really put his stamp down as the premier receiver in the conference if he wants to, uh, as he's got um, Cole Gonzalez as his quarterback uh, coming back after Carlos Davis left. So that's what you're looking at in that situation. They did bring in uh, a veteran quarterback to compete with Gonzalez. Charlie Dean was a two-year starter, I believe, at Harvard. So there's some competition there, but they feel pretty comfortable with Gonzalez being the guy. And, I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he proved that he can win games last year for Western Carolina. What he did at the end of the season, obviously he brought them in here and, and they walked it off against ETSU. So we know that, that they can do that. I have Western Carolina fourth. And then I have Chattanooga fifth, but like you, I have reservations about the quarterback spot. Chase Artopius had to throw the college pass. Um, you know, they uh, was a Sean Blue Schomburg, redshirt freshman, doesn't have a ton of experience. Well, what is it? What does that look like? What does that competition look like? Is it Artopius? Uh, how does he gel with the team coming in from Power Five environment? Obviously, very different. I talked to Rusty Wright. He said he was very meticulous about making his decision. He had a spreadsheet, like a big old spreadsheet of like offensive personnel and historical records and all this stuff. He really got in the weeds and made his decision. And among several SOCON teams that were vying for his services, he chose Chattanooga. How does that work out? That, to me, really determines whether Chattanooga is a playoff team or not. I think Chattanooga could be a really good six and five team or a seven four team that loses the wrong game at the wrong time and they end up not making the postseason again um etsu at six i think is fair i had wofford at seven i talked with Deshaun watson he said we we feel good about a lot of our pieces but we are still trying to figure out the quarterback position and that is not a great sign for a team when i mean you you look at wofford's uh schedule and I don't know that it's super kind to them because uh, their first FCS game is at William and Mary. Then they get Presbyterian and VMI, so maybe there's a little chance to do something there. But in Chattanooga, Sanford, you get those at home. Um, but it's it's not going to be just a cakewalk. You're going to have two really really tough games to get it started. Uh, you could very easily start, um, you know, zero and two or you know two and three, maybe even one and three if you're. One and four if you're not careful at VMI, because VMI is going to have a chip on their shoulder because nobody thinks they can do jack squat. And Danny Rocco kind of came in and said, we don't take transfers. We're bringing in like 30-odd freshmen. He said, we're going to play for the – and he told his team when he took over, he said, we're going to play for the seniors who have been through hell for this program. We're going to do it for them in the fall of 2023. So I think VMI could absolutely uh, upset an apple cart for somebody. And then the Citadel, I had eighth. VMI is last. Uh, because ultimately, I just don't see... I, VMI could win a game, but I don't see them winning enough games to really be a factor in the middle or the upper part.
So I, there is some interesting things because schedule-wise, Furman and Chat back-to-back weeks will play Kennesaw State, which normally be a great FCS game you got lined up. But Kennesaw State is now going to be allowed to over-recruit and have a few more Scallies on there. Yes, this is the uh, upward transition year, I believe, for Kennesaw State. So how the committee treats some of that um, has been up in the air in years past. Um, but you're looking at Furman. I mean, think about this. Furman's going to play Tennessee Tech. Right? Then they got at South Carolina, SEC school. Then you get at Kennesaw State, which is going – to be over-recruiting, back-to-back road games. Then you got Mercer. So just a, a boom, boom, boom work. Let's talk about Mercer. All right, they get Alabama in that week zero kickoff classic on ESPN. North Alabama. North Alabama, excuse me. On the, F- yeah, the FC- Right, right. Yes. FCS kickoff, it, it is in Alabama, but, yes, North Alabama. Then they're at Ole Miss. Then they get a little bit of a tune-up with Moorhead State. You know, uh, and then you jump into Furman VMI, right? They got misses. They got they got Ole Miss they, as well. They, they got Ole Miss, but I mean, but you get a week to kind of recover with Moorhead State. Yeah, sure. You, you get a week there to recover. Now, they get Furman off the bye. Oh, it's Furman. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, Furman is off the bye. Um, so like Mercer comes off its bye week and goes to Greenville to play Furman. So uh, that, that's going to be so. Oh yeah, because Mercer Mercer, Mercer played that week zero. So that's what I'm saying. Good. So for Furman, to me, that's a tough stretch because you had South Carolina. You thought a good FCS opponent in Kennesaw State. It's after the Tennessee Tech game to open the year. Then you get Mercer. To me, you're going to know a lot about Furman, you know, right there. And could that be Mercer's advantage? And I think it's, a, you know, Chattanooga, they play North Alabama as well the week after Mercer. They get taped. They get all that. And they get Kennesaw State, which, again, is now a different level game. But then they get the Citadel before they play a higher-level opponent with Sanford. Then you look at Sanford's schedule. All right, they get shorter on the Thursday night to get things going. That's a non-counter. Non-counter. Then they're at Western. Again, don't really know what you're going to get right there, but Western I think is a dangerous game because the very next game's at Auburn. And Sanford, I think, lives in a world again, that's an in-state rivalry. That's a game where a few years ago well, I mean, no, it's not. And that's, but for Sanford, that's the Super Bowl. That's the Super Bowl for them. They're going to get a new coach and a new system. A few years ago, if you remember, Sanford had a shot at Florida State to win, and they had a first half against Auburn where it was like 7-3 or 10-3, and then they got crushed in the second half. But they had a chance to make some noise, and Sanford plays just enough of a weird style of offense to where if you're not careful, and if Auburn's looking ahead to the next opponent, that's where you can get something. But then they turn and play chat. That's my ultimate point. They're going to play – Western Carolina, where they're thinking they're, that's a winnable game for them. They're going to be looking and eyeing Auburn because I think all people at FCS think about that big game. because they, And especially in-state. I think it's a bigger situation. Like, does ETSU have a shot of beating Tennessee? No. No, they don't. But do, does every kid wearing a blue and gold uniform want to beat Tennessee and put a lot into that? They do. I think it depends on the culture of your program. And it depends on how well you to focus on the games that really matter for you as a program. And the game that really – Sanford brings back a lot of veteran offensive players. You know, I talked to Hires, and he seems very focused on, hey, we went 8-0 in the SoCon last year. We're trying to do it again. I think very clearly for them that the goal is the SoCon. They're going to go to Cullowee, and they're going to be laser-focused. And I don't know that Western is going to be quite that focused because this is still a team – 
that takes a lot of chances on defense. Nobody better exemplifies that than Andreas Keaton. Andreas Keaton is willing to get his butt handed to him in coverage to make a play on the football. Like he is willing to take risks. He's willing to get blown up, and that's the whole Western Carolina defensive MO. They're trying to improve that, but I, I'm not worried about Sanford going to Colony Week 2. I'm just not. So that, that's also flipping there. For Western, they go to Arkansas. Then they host Sanford. Then they're at Eastern Kentucky. I mean, there's a shot where I'm thinking they could make – either some headway and make some noise, or they could or they be sitting there 0-3. Oh right, yeah. so that's my point on Western. They could jump up there and be a contender, but it, if they're 0-3, which is very likely, I mean, honestly, Arkansas, let's say 0-1, Sanford at home, we both think Sanford's probably going to win that game. Yes. I don't think they're going to beat Eastern Kentucky either. It's going to be tough. So that's 0-3. Now, they do get a couple, they get to play a couple of the Charleston schools where they, they host Charleston they Southern, Charleston then they go Southern. to the Citadel. Then they got Chat and Furman. That, and then Mercer. Oh, my goodness, I didn't even scroll down. So that's why I think either Western's going to make a big jump when I looked at their schedule, or I could see that, you know, loss, 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 and then all of a sudden it's tough to recover. Yeah. And, 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 and you mean at that point, I mean, you get to Chattanooga and you're just desperate for the bell of the bye week at that point to get you right to get back on track against Furman. It could go. It could go either way. I mean, Western they could be Carolina. two and six. I mean, there's realistic opportunity to be two and six going into Wofford ETSU VMI to fight to get to five and six. Or if they're sitting there six and two, they're four and two at the bye. Four and, and two. Suddenly <laughs> thinking, okay, we got a shot at this. Yeah. So like we both talked about in our preseason ballots, it's a boom bust operation. Yep. All right. Well, I don't want too much time on it because I will do a full schedule breakdown of games to watch by week and some of the other fun stuff we'll do. Real quick, um, the all-conference teams, ETSU, none on the – well, let's talk about uh, players of the year. Well, you're going to do that first. First, obviously, you talked about Michael Hires. You had a conversation with him. To me, that's a no-brainer. The defensive player of the year, Jay Person, Chattanooga, I get why he got that. I will just curious to see, without uh, Devonshaw Maxwell, how will he be able to adjust because Maxwell took up double and triple teams. Well, now it's been Bruton's turn, right? Because Person is going to like, correct. Not gonna let correct. Person beat us, so Bruton is going yeah. to thrive. I, I still think Person is going to have a very good year because Maxwell still had a very good year last year. So I'm not too worried about, oh, we're going to double team, we're going to chip in, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, blah, blah. Uh, I, I think Person is the right choice as the, the preseason defensive player of the year. I think there are some interesting guys. Um, I said Land earlier. I was thinking of Isaiah Land from Florida A&M, who's obviously a professional. Now, as Isaac Dowling was the guy I was trying to think of for uh, Mercer, Mercer. The linebacker. Well, he's solid. Just racks yeah. up a ton of tackles. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know how uh, – is, is, is he a just an all-around, like, juggernaut in the middle of defense? I don't know, but he just finds a way to the football and makes plays. I really think the, the defensive player of the year is going to come from the defensive line of the SoCon this season, uh, at the end of the season, and I don't see a reason to think it's not going to be on that Chattanooga defensive line. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Then you go to the second team. Now you get some ETSU guys. No ETSU first team. I said it earlier, but just to, again, reiterate, there was no first team. Second team on offense, Noah West, Will Huzzy. Tough to argue, I think, with either one of those. And then defensively, uh, had a 
sneaky suspicion Sheldon Arnold would be on it. Yes. He was, and I was uh, very happy to see that Max Evans got some love as he's also second team as well on the defense. Yes, and both of those made sense to me. Max Evans is the anchor. Uh, he's going to be that position, and uh, he's a leader of that defense. Someone is going to be very much paving the way for the, the pass rushers or just the, the, the linebackers to get clean into the backfield and be disruptive like they were for much of the year last year. And then Sheldon Arnold, of that defense for a lot of people. Uh, I think there's good reason to believe that he is the face of that defense for ETSU. He believes he's the best safety in the conference, that he can prove that on film uh, when it comes to you know the end product of 2023. And he's putting in the work into that end. I think getting him some, some recognition, like, hey, you're on our radar. You're somebody that we are taking note of as somebody that could really impress at the end of the season. The specialists, Trace Kelly. Yeah, how about that? Second team. And uh, long snapper Ryan Phillips as well. So, uh, cool. I, I was excited for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, no first team, but we, we kind of talked about would, just off air, would they get some love? Would it be like a couple of guys, or would we get five or six? And we ended up getting five or six, which I was pleasantly surprised. I thought the coaches may not, uh, because I spoke on the coaches, get as much love, but they did. And uh, I kind of was hoping Will Huzzy on first team. I thought he probably had the best realistic shot again on the first team. But, again, you know, there's some there's some solid choices. I'm, I'm not hating on any of that. I don't really uh, – yeah, you know, when Mike was here and then Parker was here, they would get fired up over first team select. I, I don't. It's yeah. – at the end of the year, did you make it? That's really what I'm concerned about. So. I agree. I think one – you know, it's so hard to – it's so hard to figure out where guys are going to be. It's so hard to forecast. It's a lot easier to do it in hindsight and get it right. All right. Fall camp finally started. More football talk later. Janky. Marketer Sports Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.